Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. In case you're up for a road trip, the 35th Annual Virginia Film Festival runs from November 2nd through 6th in Charlottesville. We used to paint a certain type of person traditional representations or symbols of power. You have FDR behind a desk. You have white men in suits. And then you have Barack Obama. That was an excerpt from Picturing the Obamas, which was produced by Richmonders Hannah Brown Ayers and Lance Warren. This is their latest of several compelling documentaries on social issues. Picturing the Obamas can currently be watched on the Smithsonian Channel and its app. It follows the portraits from the National Gallery on a tour to five cities throughout the country. Sifter Review of the Week. A Jasmine's Blues on Netflix. This is Tyler Perry's first drama. It's based on a work he wrote 20 years ago. Anyone who's watched his Medea movies knows he always peppers those wild comedies with moments of emotion. So he goes all out on the passion this time. Newcomer Joshua Boone makes an impressive debut as an ambitious young black man in 50s Georgia. He's also a recent graduate of VCU Arts Theater. His dreams are crushed when the love of his life is forced to leave town. When she returns, things have changed in ways that signal sure tragedy. While the performances are earnest, Perry's love of big moments and even grander emotions is in full force. The writing often dips into melodrama and the scenario isn't completely original. Still, Perry's ability to stage drama makes this an uneven but effective tragedy. I gave it three out of five stars. Hannah and Lance, I think we first met at the RVA documentary meeting. I remember you talking about a documentary. I don't think it was even this one, was it? Was it an earlier one? I bet it was an earlier one. That group started several years back. Local filmmakers Nate Clark and Tyler Trumbo, I think, uh, started that up. We we were lucky to to be there at the beginning and and discover that there's a wonderful, small, but very engaged and productive documentary community here. Yeah, actually, uh, I have done an interview with Tyler and Nathan, too, on their documentary. So how did y'all meet? We met through a mutual friend, a friend that Lance went to high school with, uh, I went to college with. Lance was living in Boston at the time, and I was living in D.C. We got a chance to connect to North Carolina, and we were both uh, on very different tracks from filmmaking. Filmmaking wasn't even on our radars at that point. Really? Wow. And Lance was in a Ph.D. program for history, and I was uh, in D.C. pursuing nonprofit career. Um, I really fell into filmmaking in 2008, 2009, making an, an independent film for a professor at the University of Virginia, teaching ourselves along the way as bumbling as that was at times, but uh, <laughs> learned an enormous amount and, and kind of caught the bug. So did the production come first or the romance come first? <laughs> <laughs> I think our connection came first and the uh, film work followed uh, not long after, but it was a, a complete surprise to both of us. And I think if we hadn't been severely underemployed in uh, the latter half of 2008, we, uh, 2009, <laughs> then uh, we might never have ex- explored this path. You are married now too, right? We are, okay. yeah, since 2014. So your company is called Field Studio. What does that title mean and what does Field Studio do? Well, it 
refers to a couple of things. We named the company when we were living in Charlottesville, and there was a field in in the backyard. Um, oh, that's that original. Often, <laughs> <laughs> but we also liked that you know there's this phrase in the field that you know you're you're going out and capturing the stories and talking to people as events are unfolding. So we liked that connection as well. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, okay. So let's talk first, and you've done so many documentaries, and I want to touch on a couple of them, but of course we wanted to start by talking about Picturing the Obamas, because that's now running on the Smithsonian Channel. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you give us a little quick thumbnail of what that documentary is? The official portraits of Barack and Michelle Obama, they were unveiled in 2018, as I'm sure many of us will remember. This was deep into a very different presidency, and this was the first time on the unveiling day at the National Portrait Gallery, Barack and Michelle Obama made a public appearance since leaving the White House a year before. People were very excited to see them again and were very interested to learn who had painted these portraits, not least since the news had leaked a few months prior that the people they had chosen were not only portraitists, but in fact, acclaimed contemporary artists, Kehinde Wiley and Amy Sherrill, two of the most talented, sought-after artists of their generation, particularly in the case of Kehinde Wiley, whose profile was enormous already at that time. And of course, Richmonders will know him from the Rumors of War, the equestrian statue in front of the VMFA, which of course inspired him when he had a show of his work here. So he's kind of got a little Richmond in his blood. He does. He does. And Amy Sherald, she grew up in the South uh, in Georgia and did a lot of her work in Baltimore. I'm sure a lot of drives through Richmond along that way. Her star was certainly rising. And the Obamas in choosing those two were very intentional, as they are in pretty much everything they do. They wanted to choose black artists. These were the first black artists who were commissioned by the National Portrait Gallery to paint uh, a former president, former first lady. And shortly thereafter, museums started talking about we bring these portraits, which had uh, doubled attendance at the National Portrait Gallery, moving from 1.1 million to 2.1 million visitors a year. Could we bring that kind of excitement to our own communities? The pandemic slowed that down. But finally, in uh, the summer of 2021, that national tour kicked off. And Picturing the Obamas, the film that we made, follows that tour, following the installation of the works, profiling the artists, but especially, I think, finding its voice meeting people along the way for whom the portraits and the tour had great resonance. It's interesting because in each city, you obviously highlight the city and then you pick something about the city, a person or a group or something that was influenced, which is was very interesting. So how did you get the gig? I know you've done other work with Smithsonian. Did they call you up and say, we want to do this? Or did you say, hey, we got a great idea? It did draw on some past history with Smithsonian. We had a chance to premiere our 2017 film, An Outrage, at the Smithsonian Museum of American History. And we've stayed in touch with those folks, and they kindly put us in touch with the Smithsonian Channel as we were finishing our 2020 film, How the Monuments Came Down. Um, And they took a look at that. They really liked the style, and they had some projects that they needed producers for. And uh, they mentioned Obama portraits in our uh, eyes. Lit up. I'm sure. And, <laughs> yeah, so we, we started talking with them about that and, and um, kind of sketched out a vision for how we would go about that. And we were fortunate to get the gig that way. I did notice two very short sound bites from the Obamas. Were you able to actually meet them very briefly for that? Sadly, no. We were not in the same room with them. But, oh, uh, bummer. 
But it was one of the more exciting elements of the edit that for a year we had been uh, looking to secure footage that we had heard about that had been filmed by the Obama Foundation uh-huh. uh, with each of the Obamas speaking about their portraits. Late in the edit, we one Saturday morning, we were sent a private Dropbox link with these videos. And I sat there on our couch at home and watched them in their entirety and thought, this is amazing. Surprise guest drop in. Hey, Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi, you guys. A lovely surprise. <laughs> Footnote. Annie Evans is the Director of Education and Outreach for New American History, an organization that explores the country's past through the power of digital media. So, Annie, how do you know these two? They probably think I met them through the work that we've collaborated on with the show, The Future of America's Past. But actually, the first time I met them, and they're not going to remember this, they brought a film that they made a few years ago called An Outrage to our state social studies conference. Right. And I was blown away by that film. I had never seen their previous work. And we're watching this and we're like, wow, we did not get to talk about this in school when we were kids, and nor have we talked about this in school as teachers. At that point, I'd been teaching over 15 years, probably 20 years. You know, there was a Q&A afterwards and they spoke so passionately about the film and why it was important to make the film and how difficult it was to take that topic. And I just remember thinking, why can't we have more of this in school? Right. And now we do, right? Because they've made beautiful films since then, but they've also made this series that we've been able to put into bite-sized chunks, you know, give kids a short piece and then let them kind of process that through different activities with their teachers. So I just think that they do such important work. They kind of go there where other filmmakers haven't done that for K-12. The people that I have watched the films with, I've watched them with kids, I've watched them with teachers, and they've just really become an important part of our toolkit as a teacher. Those sorts of partnerships, and that would include certainly the work that Annie is doing so much to advance, to imagine, and then to advance a new American history, that's what makes this stuff matter. You can make a film, but on its own, a film can't do anything. It's inert. It requires somebody to put it into action. It requires somebody to to take it the next uh, 10, 20 miles and actually put it to work. And Annie and her colleagues are, are doing that. Annie, are you hoping to do that for picturing of the Obamas as well? If they'll let me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to give Annie a lot of credit because Lance and I, you know, if we had different skill sets, I think we would be teachers. There are heroes and, you know, we can't think of a more important audience uh, than teachers and students. So that's really been a driving force for us in our careers. But we also know that we're not in a classroom and we really need people like Annie and Annie specifically who has so much experience to draw on and so much creativity to translate the film work that we do into something that can be useful and tangible for teachers. And I'm just amazed to see how she takes these scenes that we've put together and just like expand them like an accordion into so many other ways and really encourages students to dig deeper. So it's, it's really thrilling to see. Annie, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, wave goodbye. <laughs> Bye, Annie. Thank yeah, you. Annie. Good to see you. We're going to talk about some of the films that she mentioned, some of the, the documentaries that you've already talked about, but let's finish up picturing the Obamas first. I wanted to ask you, so in each city, as I mentioned, you focus on something other than just the exhibit, someone who was influenced by it in some way. How did you find those people? Did you depend on them locally or were you just running around trying to find people? 
It was a range of paths to them, for sure. It was. The, the museums themselves helped connect us with folks. We learned that the floral designer was going to be putting together a special installation at the LA County Museum of Art. And that kind of perked up our ears, like, really, a floral designer is involved in this and kind of recreating yeah. a bit, taking inspiration from the two portraits and creating these backdrops that would allow uh, visitors to kind of put themselves into the portraits. But other times we envisioned a certain kind of character that we thought would be powerful to, to connect with. Lance had the idea of how powerful would it be to be in a classroom of students who are learning about the portraits and maybe putting their own spin on what self-portraiture means to them. So we connected with Atlanta Public Schools and they helped us um, connect with a few teachers. You know, nice synergy like that. In Houston, we thought how powerful would it be to connect with a community organizer or a youth organizer who maybe is influenced by the Obama's background. So we reached out to a bunch of nonprofits and eventually found uh, Diana. We had a chance to work with a co-producer, Ugona Akpalauka, who had directed a short for BET and had been working on the Today Show for a long time. And she also helped us with uh, identifying characters, especially the uh, the AKAs in Brooklyn and the, uh, the marketing director at the Brooklyn Museum. So the three of us were a team in finding all those characters. Right now, I'm assuming because you obviously went to all five cities. How long did you shoot? Did you go into each city and maybe spend three or four or five days there and do all of it and then move on? Yes, uh, by and large. We had about 25 to 30 shoot days in all. We visited each for pre-production ahead of time. Uh, but also it was in some cases to meet some of these then potential characters and see, okay, do are they interested? Are we interested? Uh, can, right. can we make this work? Because we were following the tour, that meant that it was a sort of progressive production over the course of the year. So we, we first did Chicago in June of 2021, and then the next month we were scouting in New York, and then the month after August we were filming in New York and onward throughout the tour, uh, doing our final filming in early April of 2022. So it was a pretty extended production period. Those 25, 30 days really strung out over about nine months, I suppose. Right, right. Now I noticed, uh, and this is the video producer coming out in me here, I noticed mm -hmm. all of the interviews are sent they're never to the left or to the right. Was that intentional? And if so, what was the intent? Thank you for noticing that. It was intentional. Uh, we wanted to really be motivated by core content of the film, namely that we're making a film about portraits. So we wanted to go for what we imagined as a sort of classical portraiture setup, uh, centered in the frame, highly symmetrical frames often, a degree of drama. All the interviews are filmed at a fairly wide angle. Most of them, just for nuts and bolts, are 35 millimeter lenses, uh, in some <laughs> cases slightly wider, really trying to make the most of epic spaces uh, like that at the National Portrait Gallery, that pavilion with the undulating roof with the skylights right, right. that we filmed the, the security the museum, A lot of them. Yeah, you did have a lot of great scenic shots there. Yeah. And so that, that was really the goal. Uh, never be in front of a wall of books and uh, try to really be uh, motivated by this notion of portraiture and put portraits on screen in terms of the interviews. So what were some of the challenges? I know you had to travel and you were still dancing around COVID some. What were some of your challenges in putting this together? Yeah, COVID certainly was a challenge. We actually had to delay production in Atlanta uh, due to Delta. The Smithsonian Channel put a pause on all production for a couple months. That, and... that would be the Delta variant, not Delta Airlines, which was great to us throughout. <laughs> it's also so in Atlanta. Yeah. Be clear. <laughs> we don't, don't want to lose our, right, our preferred right. seating options for the upgrade or something. Fortunately, we had 
had zero cases, which was just amazing and and very lucky. You know, one nice thing about the production was this kind of, we had time in between each city. So that gave us a chance to kind of catch our breath, regroup what worked, what could improve and make those new plans for for a new city. So it at times felt breakneck, but at other times felt like, okay, we, we have a moment to kind of regroup before filming next city. So this is a two-part series, part one and part two, obviously. What is the difference? Is there a difference between part one and part two, or is it just a continuation of the documentary? It is chronological to a degree. We go to three cities in the first episode and two cities in the second episode. But we also wanted to explore different themes. So episode one uh, is called Portraits of Hope, and we kind of lay out more of what what do we remember about the Obama presidency. And one thing we wanted to explore as part of this film is what is the Obama legacy? And, uh, and I'm referring both to Barack and Michelle Obama. What are their legacies in 2020, 2021? And why are so many people coming and seeing their portraits? And then episode two focuses a little bit more on kind of looking ahead and what's next for Black portraiture, for representation. So it's meant to be a continuous flow across the two episodes, but we did try to ask some different questions in each one. It's also interesting that you do give a little mini profile of each of the two artists. So if anybody doesn't Uh, know who they are, you mm -hmm. get a little bit of exposure to them. Let's pivot to your last documentary, How the Monuments Came Down. And was very popular and was was well received. Tell me a little bit about what that's about and uh, how it came about. Well, how it came about in in some ways goes back to the first film that we did in 2009 was about a black community in Charlottesville, Vinegar Hill, that had been built by formerly enslaved people right after the Civil War. And in the mid 20th century, it suffered the fate of so many black enclaves around the country when it was demolished under the auspices of, quote unquote, urban renewal. So we started in that work, the work of history and social justice. And in a lot of ways that came out of our our academic training, we were both humanities people, studied history in in college, grad school. That is where our our filmmaking went forward. We talked with uh, Annie about the film that we produced in 2017, An Outrage, about the history and the legacy of lynching in the American South. The work that we did after that with The Future of America's Past, the PBS series that we produced with BPM, there we were going to sites of history around the United States where some of the most difficult chapters of this country's history took place. And we were talking to people who try to preserve that history every day. That could be a National Park Service ranger, a teacher, an activist, and really understand how they're engaging with the general public to tell those stories. So for a decade leading up to the time that became our work on how the monuments came down, we had been engaged in questions of history and social justice and putting that on screen. And then there we are in 2020, as everybody else is, when an unprecedented racial reckoning is seems to be underway. And we were living at that time in the fan, which meant that we were just a few blocks from Monument Avenue. And we were in the thick of people's demands for change. And we thought, Look, this is not only at the center of our film work for a decade at this point. This is at the center of our neighborhood, wherever our neighborhood, right? It would be absurd if we didn't try to respond in some helpful way. What do we know how to do? We know how to make films. We we can do that. So that we we felt was our way to to contribute. We presented an idea to to BPM. We collaborated with some really really important partners here in Richmond, and we got underway right away and filmed protests that were underway. And also talk to people about the deep history, because we knew from studying history for all these years that every story has deep roots. 
that uh, that what we were seeing is one part of a long chain of cause and effect of, of people fighting, of, of struggle. And we wanted to demonstrate how what we're seeing today is turning the tide, right? It, it was it was the real tipping point that meant that the monuments would actually come down, something that seemed incomprehensible just right. a few months prior. It also has roots in Black self-determination in Richmond going back decades and generations. Obviously, everything y'all do is kind of heavy and political. What inspires you? You don't ever want to make a comedy or do something fun and silly? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I, I think picturing the Obamas in many ways is the most uplifting, uh, perhaps yeah, most yeah. obviously uplifting. And we, we have been motivated by stories that feel to us that they matter. Often those are difficult conversations to have, whether it's, you know, within ourselves, our families, or within our communities. And so certainly I think many of our films have found the the tension at that intersection. It's interesting that almost all of the work that I've seen that you've done recently is about the Black experience. And obviously both of you are Caucasians. You talked about social justice. I mean, there, you know, there are thousands, obviously, of social justice issues. What draws you to those? Or has that made it more interesting or more challenging for you as two Caucasians? I think it's a real opportunity to talk about the history of the United States that is right at the heart of what the nation is all about, right? If we are a nation that is committed to freedom and justice and equality, those concepts have been tested no more by the nation's long history of injustice around race than by anything else, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. When I was in college and graduate school, I focused on social justice movements in the 20th century and immigration. And it's, it's because in many ways, that's where we demonstrate what we actually mean about democracy. Uh, we, we put that to the test time and again. This is the point of, of that movement in many ways, and in so many social justice movements of attaining that which has been promised, that which is fair. That's an exciting story. That's a motivating story. And it's too often been a story that has been too little told. So it was certainly something I think as a student that attracted my attention early on. And it's something as filmmakers that we try to contribute to, to help to amplify stories that reflect our nation back to us in ways that hopefully motivate us to be what we can be. As husband and wife, producers together. So how does that work? Is there ever a time when you disagree who gets to win or do you flip a coin or do you all just always so perfectly in agreement on everything? <laughs> well, technically I'm the CEO of our company and that's in our founding document. So, uh, so you're the boss. No. <laughs> you know, producing has been such an integral part of our relationship since so early on that it feels very natural. You know, a lot of couples that we talk to, we, we tell them we work together and they're like, oh God, I can really never do that. <laughs> but you know, it's been, yeah, an integral part of our relationship from about five months uh, in. So how's the division of labor? Well, I would say we're both doing everything all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lance has a really lovely eye and he has long been the cinematographer for our productions. Um, that's changed for recent productions just because there's been so much to do, but right. he has a lot of the technical knowledge, a lot of the cinematography knowledge, and just a really great um, intuition. So I think we do try to divide and conquer. I do a lot of like the character research and outreach. So we, we definitely find ways of kind of leaning into our, our strengths and uh, and finding a good balance. And, and we're, we both are deeply engaged in an equal way in the storytelling that, that actually brings this stuff to life. 
the couple of the films that we've been talking about most in this conversation, How the Monuments Came Down and Picturing the Obamas, those were largely filmed by uh, David Music, a local cinematographer who works with the production company here, Spang. Uh, David, Hannah, and I were sort of the three musketeers going around the country for Picturing the Obamas. He was with us every step of the way, and 99% of what you see in that film was filmed by him. Uh, one of the really special things about our work, I think, especially over the last four or five years, has been the opportunity to work with people like that, to work with really gifted and talented experts in particular areas, you know, cinematography or, or audio mixing, what have you, uh, that can really take the vision that you have to another place. Right. I mean, it, it, it takes so many people and so many of those are not the top names on the masthead. They are the right. people who are enabling in so many steps of the way, these things to happen. Uh, both Picturing the Obamas and How the Monuments Came Down involved teams that we hired of about 40 to 50 people. Wow! So it feels a little disingenuous to be the people talking about our projects, just the two of us, because in yeah. fact, it's it, it really does take a village of people to make these things happen. So what's next? You mentioned something, Hannah, briefly about what we're working, but you probably won't tell me because you couldn't tell me about this one until it was out there. <laughs> well, the what's next is TBD. We we don't know to be okay. to be honest, but we're uh, we're developing a few ideas. Um, yeah, we're taking a moment to think about what is next because we've we've made two features in two years, and so um, we actually take a breath. To, yeah, take a breath. <laughs> and thank you, and um, and think about what what's the next story that we want to tell. Speaking of taking a break when you don't work what are you watching what are y'all streaming or what movies you've seen lately one series that we just finished that we absolutely loved was welcome to wrexham have you heard of that right with ryan reynolds and the other guy who bought the team right yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it, it really surprised us so you know let's check this out and it ended up being so poignant and funny and thoughtful and varied in the style. And so it, it really kept our attention through 18 episodes that went wow. through you know, the whole season of this Welsh football team. Uh, not something that I necessarily thought I would be super into, but the, the storytelling is is really effective. Well, good, because I did, I did not bother to watch that because <laughs> it was 18 episodes and also it was about football. Who cares? Sure. But anyway, right, right. Uh, so you only watch documentaries when you're in the spare time? Don't you have some, uh, no. don't you watch Silly comedies or guilty pleasures <laughs> of some sort yeah for sure we um we actually for a long time documentaries were a small part of what we watched and we we took a lot of our inspiration from um from other genres uh i think there's been a, a lot of advance in the uh, artistry and sophistication of docu series in recent years that we've been really inspired by welcome to rexham is this great example of something that seems to be based on a sort of wacky gag but in fact as hannah said is is poignant and well crafted i lately i've also really been enjoying the scripted series for fx the bear that's so many people have uh, watched and gushed about right. the cinematography and the editing and the storytelling is deft and it's restrained in surprising areas. It's over the top in areas where it really counts. Right. Uh, the first season of White Lotus, I understand season two just dropped. We're, we're curious to, to check that out. Uh, productions like that that are really pushing the bounds of uh, what can be accomplished uh, theatrically right. on screen. Bear, I didn't love, and I've talked about it with other people on the show before. Some people love it, some people hate it. And White mm -hmm. Lotus, of course, we all loved and we're looking forward to the second <laughs> season. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been, I'm glad I ran into you this weekend so we can Likewise. schedule this for today. And uh, I'll, of course, have a link on the website to all the documentaries that you've done and to your webpage. So thanks again. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for all your thoughtful questions. Those were Richmonders Lance Warren and Hannah Brown Ayers, the producers of Picturing the Obamas, which is currently airing on the Smithsonian Channel. There are links to the documentary and several of their others on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Coming soon. Thank you.
theaters. Till, based on the true story of Emmett Till's 1955 lynching and the mother who pursued justice for him. The Banshees of Inisherin. Director Martin McDonough brings the two stars of In Bruges, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, back for this dark comedy. Armageddon Time. Anne Hathaway, Mark Strong, and Anthony Hopkins star in this 80s coming-of-age story. Tar. Kate Blanchett plays an orchestra conductor examining the nature of power. Call Jane stars Elizabeth Banks as a woman in 1968 Chicago who becomes involved with the quest for safe and legal abortions. Pray for the Devil. A novice nun and exorcisms. The System, a soldier recently returned from war, gets involved in underground prisoner fighting. Triangle of Sadness, a celebrity couple are invited on a cruise with some rich friends, but things go awry. TV and streaming. The Good Nurse on Netflix, Jessica Chastain stars as an infamous caregiver who was implicated in hundreds of deaths, also starring Eddie Redmayne. All Quiet on the Western Front, also on Netflix, this reimagining of the classic follows a young German soldier during World War I. Finally on Netflix, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. The famous director assembled eight directors to each create their own short thriller. On HBO, White Lotus, the Emmy winner returns for a second season set in an upscale resort in Italy. Tales of the Jedi on Disney Plus, the latest Star Wars spinoff is this animated series. Did you know you can subscribe to this show on most of the major services? Just go to tvjerry.com, click on podcasts, and there's the link. Next week, I'll be talking with prominent entertainment attorney Kirk Schroeder, and he's got lots of great stories. That's all for this week. This is TV Jerry. Thanks for listening. For more sister, including literally thousands, thousands of, of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com.